listener production. Howdy sports fans, you are listening to episode 165 of the Howie Games Part B, the next chapter featuring Ange Postacoglu. Play. You know what this podcast is about. I know you've listened to some episodes over there, which fills me with joy because it's it's about it's not giving up in that situation um, and working hard, which is why it fills me to joy to have you on here. How do you find out who rings you and says, <laughs> Ange, you are going to coach, let's be honest, one of the biggest, most well-known Absolutely. football clubs in the world? Yeah, so so there I am. I'm, I'm, like I said, we, we've kind of resigned ourselves. I, I was getting to the end of my deal with Yokohama, and they really keen for me to extend. They'd offered me a new sort of three year deal, and yeah, you know, I sat down with George. I said, "Look, this is this is great. We've got security. You know, financially, it's great for us. We're happy as a family. Do we accept?" And and we kind of both said, "Nah, look, let's finish up here and and see where it takes us." That's gutsy. I, yeah, yeah, it was. But we, and and God bless her. I've got. The world's greatest wife, right, in yes. terms of support. Um, she just she's she's believed in me. She's she's the optimist in terms of that sort of stuff. She just thinks that this was always going to happen for me, and 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 was always positive, even when I was just saying, "Ah, uh, look, you know, I was trying to explain to her this European thing that this anchor around me will never, I'll never be able to get rid of it." But she was always, "Not, nah, it's going to happen." You know, we, we've just got to we just got to follow the dream and. Um, so we made that decision, and then um, a, a club from Greece, AK Athens, um, got in touch with Frank, and Frank said, "Look, have a chat to them. You know, it's a big club. We know Greek football's volatile, but it's a big club, and it gets you in the door at, at AK. You know, in Greek football." And he said that, "You know, knowing you, you'll have success there, Ange. And if you have success there, that's going to open all these doors." So I spoke to George, and we said, oh, "Look, yeah, but it could only last two months. You know, what are we going to do with the boys, the schooling, and everything?" But again, George said, "Look, he's right. It's Europe. It's Europe. It's European. Let's go for it." So I went through the process, got to the final two. They went another way. Again, they went with somebody with European experience. That was on the Thursday, and I remember George was. You know, we were sitting on our, our bed in, in in Japan, and you know, she's she's turning and she's going, "Look, if if even the Greeks aren't giving us a chance, well, maybe you're right. Maybe this is never going to happen." So we, we we went to bed that night, you know, not feeling the best about sort of what's going to happen. Literally next morning, um, so this was Thursday night, next morning, 6 a.m., Frank calls me, and uh, which was like almost midnight for him, but he knew I'd get up pretty early, and he said, look, he says, I don't know if it's going to happen, but he goes, look, Celtic have been in touch. They're after Eddie Howe. They'd been after for quite a while, and, and, and Eddie sort of, um, you know, he turned them down on the, on the Thursday. They've got to make a decision quick. You're on their short list. They'd been tracking me for quite a while through because of my connection with the City Football Group. Um, have a chat with the majority shareholder and the CEO. I've set it up for four o'clock this afternoon. I've gone, Frank, come on, mate. I'm sick of this. Like, we're, we're, how many rejections? I mean, it's like, you know, when you hear about all these actors who go to auditions yes. and get rejected. And yes. I feel for them, you know, yeah. because I, it, it, especially when you feel like you've done really well and people are going, no, nah, you're not for us you can't help but take it personally. So, so anyway, so four o'clock that afternoon, Georgia comes home with the boys. They're running a muck in, in our small <laughs> apartment. I said, look, take them downstairs, take them to the park across the road. I'm sure this call's only going to be 10 minutes and, and then bring them back up. Um, so she goes, all right, she, she takes them downstairs. So I've logged on the call and I spoke with the, you know, Dermot Desmond, who's, who's the majority shareholder. And, um, you know, we had a great discussion. He's a great, he's a great man. And, and, you know, he, he kind of knew all about me, which, Gave me some reassurance. Okay, I got comfortable pretty quickly. 
they've done their research, um, not just about me as a manager, but the way we, I played my football, which is really important to me. And we, had, we hit it off really well. We had about a 30, 35-minute, maybe 40-minute conversation, and uh, he gets off, he signs off by saying, look, all right, uh, he goes, brilliant, love it. He goes, look, um, hang up. I'm going to set up a call with our CEO and, and our chairman. In, in 10 minutes' time, we'll send you the link and you have a chat to them, and if they're happy, I'm happy. So I've got off the call, right? George has come in. She's trying to grab Max and Alexi. They're running around. She's trying to get dinner organized. She comes in. She goes, what happened? I go, look, I, got, I may have this totally wrong, I go, but I think we're a chance here, you know? She goes, really? I go, unless I'm, I'm totally out of the loop here, I, I think there's something going on. In the, mean, in the meantime, Frank's called me and I've, he goes, what's going on, Ange? I go, mate, he went well, I think, because he wants me to talk to the CEO. And as soon as I said CEO, he hung up on me because he was then making his calls to see what's going on, you know? Within 10 minutes, they, um, I had the hookup with the, the CEO and the chairman. And, and again, you know, I had a really good discussion with them, even less time, probably about 20 minutes. And, you know, they, they kind of, again, signed off, well, we can see why, you know, Dermot really likes you. We think you're the right man. We'll, we'll speak to Frank and we'll get this going. And again, I've just closed the computer and I've just gone, <laughs> what the hell's going on, mate? I love I mean, this. Because this is Celtic, yeah? This is yeah. one of the biggest, most famous football clubs in the world, a club that I'd known as a kid that, that had been, that, you know, people have talked to me about, you know, I, I know what nights at Celtic Park are like. They sing You Never Walk Alone. It's one of the most famous football clubs in the world. And here I am, and potentially I could end up being the manager of this football club. So again, George has come in. She's going, now she's, you know, her head's rattling. She's going, what's going on? I go, I think they're going to offer me the job. I, go, I, just, I don't understand it, but I think that's going to happen. I said, I'm sure Frank will call us. So Frank rings me about half an hour later and he says, mate, it's happening. They're, they're, they're going to make you an offer and um, away we go. And Literally within sort of five days, I'd packed up and, and, and I mean, it was a stressful five days because obviously then, you know, your mind goes, well, I'm, I'm at a club at the moment, Yokohama, they've been really good to me. I, you know, it's mid-season, um, you know, they've offered me a new deal. I've got to break it to them. I've, and, and, you know, then it's not easy getting away from that. And it was right in the middle of COVID. So everything's been done by Zoom. I'm have to, if I fly, I have to go through quarantine. So it was a really stressful time as excited as we were about the prospect, but, you know, we literally left, uh, sort of, I left and Georgia left two days later. We, we didn't pack up the apartment or anything. We had the stuff all shipped across, you know, a couple of months later and, uh, and, and away we go, mate. It was just, you know, and, and you reflect back and you say, well, you know, what if I'd got the AK job the day before, yeah. you know, and, and I'd accepted, you know, it's just, it's just one of these things that it was, um, I don't know, say it was meant to be or whatever but you know so much of it has, has, has been so many different stars aligning that uh it was it was an incredible time so you've described that no other european club will take a non-european manager celtic do <laughs> so immediately they open the door to all sorts of criticism yeah. no one else has taken this bloke from australia why would we take him and famously and it was replayed here 
time and time again, your man, Alan Brazil's comments <laughs> where he was taking the piss out of your name, your country of yeah. origin, your lack of knowledge of football. Celtic have applied for exemption with UEFA for Yokohama Marinos boss, uh, Posta Co- was it Posta Kuglu, <laughs> to manage in Europe. It does not hold the required UEFA Pro licence. Oh, this has got to be a wind-up. No. What do you think? Oh, he'd be a great manager. <laughs> when you walk in the door... The whole of Scotland, and let's be honest, world football, Ange, think this bloke's not going to get the job done. Just me for a moment. Sorry to interrupt. Just me. Won't be long. But at this point, I just wanted to give you a little bit more context. So here's some Twitter feedback. (laughs) The joys of Twitter. Anyway, this is Twitter feedback that Celtic fans went with when Ange was rumoured to be signing with their club. They are in response to a journalist tweeting the following... Celtic in advance talks with Ange Postacoglu and are tonight close to appointing him as manager. Postacoglu, 55, has been working in Japan with Yokohama F. Marinos. And now to the responses. I will not be rolling with a Scottish accent, but you'll get the drift. Here we go. Andrew, has anyone actually heard of this guy? Danny, if this is the f- wits running how club... Probably no more of Danny required. Kenny, hilarious. David, three months for this bloke tops. Elijah, what the actual Joe, me, that's worse than anything in the 90s. This board is insane. RMP, this better be a joke. Mascot, how the mighty have fallen. What has happened to our club? Tiger, no European experience, no UK experience, no Scottish experience, no way. And my particular favourite from Kevin. Big Kev's gone with, simply, four words, Christ on a motorbike. (laughs) So, be fair to say, not a great deal of positivity there, but now you've got some idea of what Ange was facing. On we go. You have a loss first up, and, and I went back in my head to your great mate Kevin Musket, who had came on this show, he was coaching in Belgium, he was living his dream, and it was snatched away from him in the blink of an eye. What are you thinking after that first loss? This is some welcome back for Hearts, but Celtic have flopped again. Yeah, it's their Achilles heel, and it's hurt Postecoglou yet again. And Hearts have done it, and Hearts have won it. A remarkable return to the Scottish Premiership for them. But another sorry story for Celtic. Yeah, look, um, firstly... Yeah, great credit to to Celtic because, like you said, yes. this is a, a massive institution. Um, they knew whatever decision they made in terms of manager was going to come under scrutiny. So, so for them to take a punt like they did on a guy who they knew, I mean, when they're going to present this person as the new, next manager of, of one of the most famous football clubs in the world, they're going to get a hell of a lot of incoming scrutiny, criticism, call it whatever you like. But which they did, they did, they did, but. I, you know, I got the feeling as soon as I spoke to them that they'd done their research. You know, they were, they, I think they were confident, particularly Dermot and, 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 and the previous CEO, Peter Lawwell, that they knew enough about me and my career and what I was about that I could handle what was coming in. And they really, I think they felt really confident because it's the only way they would make a decision like that. You know, when you're taking such a risk going away from what's conventional mm. in terms of managerial appointments you got to have a, some real faith in what you're doing. And I think they had that. And 
I think they sensed that in me as well, which is probably why they gave me the opportunity. Because I, I remember, and talking to, to Dermot now, he said the thing that clinched it for him at the time was he asked me a question during the, the interview. Obviously, they'd been through the whole Eddie Howe thing where, you know, he he's a fantastic manager. He's obviously a manager of Newcastle now in the Premier League. But he, he really wanted to bring a whole group of people along with him and, and staff-wise because he knew such a it was going to be such a big job. And in the end, I think that was the sticking point. He just couldn't get the people he wanted and he didn't want to do the job because he didn't feel he could do it justice. And I remember, you know, Dermot, Dermot and I knew the background of that. And Dermot sort of asked me, well, Ange, what do you need, um, you know, for us to get you across? And I said, just me, mate. Just I'll come across, I'll do it. And I think that's what kind of clinched it for him because okay. he said, okay, this guy – he backs himself. He, he rated that. And so when I got across, uh, as you said, I, I knew it was incoming. And I, I remember one of the, again, being the Aussie I am, I think I, I, I probably sort of in the first press conference sort of set the tone as to how I was going to do business. Cause I think the first question that I got was, well, you know, how do you feel about being second choice? You know? Um, and I, and I kind of answered with, uh, well, you're assuming I was second choice. I could have been fifth choice, mate. You've got no idea. I'll ask this question as delicately as I can. I hope you won't take offence by it. The club spoke to another candidate before turning to you. On the face value, perhaps you weren't their first choice. Does that put you out or does that act as extra motivation to, to prove them right now? <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I mean, that was very delicate, the way you did put it. So, um, uh, it's, no, I mean, you know... You're assuming I was second choice. I might have been fifth choice. I don't know, but it doesn't doesn't really bother me. I mean, I, I what's important is that I've been given the responsibility and the opportunity. As I that, liked how you got <laughs> nice and punchy early with yeah, the local so, press edge. So, so, so they knew that what they were in store for, and 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 again, I, I I knew like everywhere I've been, there's always kind of because I try and do things a little bit differently, particularly with the way the team plays. That there's always a bit of a rocky start. I love that period. I back myself during that time, but also know it's the most intense time where where the pressure's on. And at a club like Celtic, you're amplifying that, you know, by a million percent when you're talking about one loss. Like I said, you know, I've had to leave the country because we lost our first game in a year, mate. So, <laughs> but <laughs> so, so, so you, people you can understand. so people get to understand. Like you lost the first, you won the second yeah. game. I think it was six nil. But but uh, back to your mate Kev Musket. If you drop the first, this is probably. You tell me, but if you drop the first four games of the season, like you could lose your job. It's that quick. Yeah. You're not getting yeah. half a year. You no, could no, get a no. month. Yeah, no. So we, we we lost three of our first six. A right? remarkable return to the Scottish Premiership for them. But another sorry story for Celtic. And that is that. New season, same old scenario on Derby Day in Glasgow. So there was two two ways of looking at it. You know, as you said, most people will be going, well, if you lose one more or two more. Now, I never felt that, you know, I felt the club was going to support me. And during that early period, to be fair to them, like particularly uh, Dermot and, and 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 the key people in there, Peter Law, they were really supportive. Like they were, they were all over me. They were saying, Ange, don't worry about it. We can see what you're trying to do. We're going to stick fat with you. You'll turn it around. We really believe you. So that gave me real sort of comfort. And And even the supporters, to be fair to them, even though we lost three of the first six, they weren't on my back. They could see what I was trying to do and they were fairly supportive. But the reality of football, particularly in today's world, is that if you don't get the results, that pressure inevitably, at some point, people break mm-hmm. and, and decisions are made. That's how everyone was thinking. What I was thinking about, I've lost three of the first six. I want to win the championship this year. 
I can't lose any more games. <laughs> I was I was I was that determined to bring success to the football club in the first year because I knew that the previous year, you know, Celtic had won nine titles in a row. We're going for the tenth, which was which has never been done before, and it ended up being a you know a, a disastrous year for a number of reasons, and it didn't end up in winning anything, not even the cup, any of the cups. That's for going from winning three trebles in a row to nothing. And I've taken over. I said, I can't give them another year of nothing. It, 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 I've, I'll be given this unbelievable opportunity. I'm not going to let that happen. So I've lost three of the first six. I've gone, you know what, in any given year to win a title, you can't lose more than four games. It's impossible. You, you, you know, Rangers were really strong. They'd gone the year before undefeated. So that shows you how the margin for error, how small it is. So whilst at that time people are going, oh, you know, he's going to lose his job. I'm thinking, I, gotta, I can't lose any more games here because I want to win this thing. And, you know, I think it was the seventh game. We played Aberdeen away and, and we won. And we hadn't won away from home for a while, not, over, not only with me in the first sort of six games, but in the previous season. And that was that was when we got over the hump. Then I, I got the belief from the players. You know, the punters were right behind me. And I felt this surge that, okay, we could do something special. But knowing that we had to be perfect, yeah, we didn't lose a game for the rest of the year. So we, we had to be literally perfect for us to achieve what I wanted to. So... I guess, you know, just going back to your original question, that's the external thinking. Internally, I was thinking about how I'm going to win this thing, not whether I'm going to keep or lose my job, you know? So to give people an idea of scale, when you're coaching Brisbane Raw, uh, off the top of your head, what was the salary cap generally for Brisbane Raw? Oh, we we were probably working at around two, two mil. Two million Australian. Maybe less, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. In Japan, Yokohama, what's your salary Uh, cap? Yeah, you're probably... Five times that, at least, okay. maybe a bit more. So yeah, 10, yeah. 12 million Australian. Yeah, 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 Celtic, yeah. what's the number? <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 a bigger number, mate. Um, well, a, a ballpark uh, number. Oh, yeah, 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 probably get another five times at right. least. Um, of so that. Like so, $50 million I mean, dollar wage bill. Well, not so much the wage bill, but just in terms of, say, in terms of transfer since I've been there, yep. we, we've probably spent between 30 and 40 million since I've been there. Right? What's the most you spent on a player? I think the highest we've paid is uh, we re-signed uh, Jota and uh, Cameron Carter Vickers for around seven uh, this year. So, um, do, do which you get, do you get, like is that is that you? Who comes up with the number? Like you say, I want the player. Do no, you s- well, yeah. I mean, I, I don't get involved in the sort of financial negotiations, but I know what. So we could try and target players who are going to fit into that scale. So you, yeah. you kind of know, but yeah, there's always negotiations, and we have people at the club sort of. My CEO, Michael Nicholson, uh, um, he kind of looks after that department, thankfully for me. It is, but in European terms, it's no. not, mate. You no, know, it's we, not. We, we, you know, we, we're still, you know, in terms of the the, the big clubs and and particularly in the Premier League these days, it's just the way sports going. That well, what was Real Madrid putting out on the table when you played yeah, there? Yeah, who knows, mate? Uh, I, I'd hate to think, but you know, the beauty of that again is that my experience and my upbringing set me up in good stead because, like you said, here I had to work with salary caps. I had to work with, yep. um, you know restricted lists in terms of foreigners. So to me, to me, for me to get the right players, mate, I had to be really creative and I had to be really good at it, you know, and those skills I learned. So you go then to a place where you've got more resources, you've got more money. I was really confident that I could nail it, you know, that I've got the skill set to get the right players in. And, and that was a big part of it in the, you know, when you spoke about the early part was that my first signings at the club, my first real signing was sort of Kyogo Furuhashi, who I brought over from Japan and, I was so keen to get him because I knew it'd be a hit. But again, he's somebody who's totally unknown to to sort of European football. So, you know, my first few signings hit the ground running, really good. 
um, you know, became fan favourites almost overnight. That helped me as well because even though the results weren't there, they're going, well, he's definitely got an eye for a player, which kind of helps you in that process of getting earning trust because that's what it is. It's just about earning trust. I had initially I had the trust of the key decision makers, stakeholders of the club. Yeah. Then eventually, you know, I got the trust of, of the supporters because they could see what I was doing and then the, the final piece of the puzzle is you get the trust of the players who you're sending out there to, to do the job for you. More of Anne shortly. If you like the Ramble game or just a good story, then check out episode 37 of the Howie Games featuring talismanic Socceroos striker Timmy Cale. You know, I, I see rugby players, rugby union, you talk about Cathy Freeman, or everyone that represents Australian sport. It's a proud thing, very, very proud thing, and I take that, you know, very seriously. You know, I treat every game like it's my last, and I'm lucky that Ange brought that extra mentality into me. And he said to me for the last World Cup, he said, why, why can't this be your best ever World Cup? Boom, header against Chile. Why can't be the, this be your best ever game, the next one? Boom, cracker against Netherlands. And then I was thinking, all right, it's got to be it. And he goes, why can't this be your best Asian Cup ever? Score goals, then we won it. And that's the sort of thing that now I say to my teammates you know, before we go out to Syria, it's like, there's a cliff, boys. And when you jump off this cliff before we go out to the game, you can relax. Nothing's, we're not going to get hurt. We're going to land on our feet because we've got 23 of us, you know, that will pull us through this game. That's Tim Cale on episode 37 of the show. Let's get back to Ange. So... This is a footy club formed in 1880 something, maybe 1883. 1888, yep. 1888, uh, based on Catholicism early on, your great rivals, uh, Protestants at Rangers. Before we get to those two sides playing each other, when you're in Glasgow, give me an indication, uh, whether it's people coming up to you or things you've seen to describe, like you've grown up going for Carlton, it's Carlton Collingwood here. Describe for me the passion of football and for Celtic in Glasgow. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's much more than that. And, and even when you talk about the origins of the football club, so why I think again, it, it was easy for me to to be embraced. You know, the club was originally born to feed the poor immigrants, the Irish in in, in Glasgow. That was the reason this okay. the football club was was formed. Right, it was. It was established as an institution that yes, they're going to play football, but it was really then to 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 make money to feed the poor. It was for charitable purposes. Now, I didn't know that. My football club, South Melbourne, yeah. Alice, is exactly the same yeah. reason it existed. It existed to help Greek migrants adjust to life in this new country where it was really tough, and that's and that's that was the essence of Celtic. So, I understood their story. I was I was. I had the same experience, you know, and I understood the football club. And so when, 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 when people sort of attach themselves to that, then it's not just them being supporters. Like you said, you know, you're a supporter of, I became a, a supporter of the Carlton footy club because, you know, I just love the footy club and I wanted to support them. And at the time, you know, I think I told uh, probably told you in the podcast. You know, Jezza was Jezza. was yeah, yeah you know, and because he had and, a different uh, name like you, correct. And I, I go if they can say Jezzalinko, they can say Poster Cogley, mate. So yeah. you know, I loved uh, and, and I fell in love with Carlton. But I was a supporter of Carlton. These the the people who who follow Celtic are not supporters. This is 
generational stories passed down almost like a, a, a family heirloom that this is your football club and nothing changes and nothing is more important apart from your family than your football club. You know, I, I see that even today that, you know, grandfathers or grandmothers with, with, with their fathers, with their grandkids, all as one going to the stadium and it's a ritual for them. It's, it's everything in there. Like I said, it's an extension of their family. They will sit down at the beginning of the season, look at the fixtures and, and plan family, key family events around them. You do not have a christening on a wedding or a wedding if Celtic are playing at home, mate. It just does not happen, you know. If, 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 and, and then it, that extends to that if the team wins, your week's great. If the team loses, then, you know, you don't want to leave your house. And, and me being sort of the, the figurehead of the club now in terms of I, I feel that responsibility and I felt it from day one, but I also understood it because it was my sort of childhood. I understood what that football club, because for me, South Melbourne Hellas was not just my football club. It was more than that. It was our, my father and particularly for my dad, it was his, his coping mechanism with living in a foreign land, not understanding it because he could go to, 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 to the soccer on a Sunday be surrounded by like-minded people and feel at ease, talk about the, the week's troubles and then go back out and do the, the grind again on, on a Monday. And that football club was more than just hmm. us supporting it. It was, you know, it was an extension of our family and that's what Celtic is. So, you know, when I took the job, I knew that responsibility and it weighed not heavily on me, but I understood that if I could bring success to this football club, it's something meaningful. It's not just, you know, parading a, a, a premiership flag or it's more than that. It's, it's people, you're giving joy to people's life, even if they're going through the hardest of times. And and what do they say to you? What, what, what if someone sees, I, I noticed, um, when, uh, Alan Brazil eventually, uh, apologized and the, the guys asking me questions were calling you big Ange, which is what the Scots call when they like yeah. someone. It's big someone. It's like big Ange, yeah, big Ange. Yeah. What, what are the... Pun- which I had to explain to Georgia because she thought it was because <laughs> of my size, right? And I said, no, don't start with that. She's, no, she's always telling me I've got to lose weight. But I said, no, it's it's about the stature of the man. It's not... <laughs> it's, it's, it's big Ange. I won't do the accent. After a win, yeah. Yeah. people yeah. come up to you in yeah. the in the high street or you're out for dinner. What do they say? Yeah, it is. My world's changed, mate. We, we, we literally cannot go out for dinner. Um, we, we've got to really sort of choose how we kind of live our lives now, just okay. mainly for the boys as well. But they're just really um, – and everyone's been brilliant towards me. They're just so thankful and, and, and you get really humbled, I do anyway, because they just – they want to thank me for what I've done for their football club. You know, it's not just about winning. It's about – the joy and watching the team play and, and what it's done to their lives. And, and, and you're right, you know, whether the, you know, I've got little kids running up to me saying, look, it's big Ange or it's, it's <laughs> older guys. My, my, Georgia, as I guess most wives these days, their, their shopping's not limited to, to going out. She does it even when we're at home now, the UPS guy or the, whatever yeah. they're called, DHL guys, favorite, you know, one of our best mates because she's always <laughs> shopping for stuff. But she was actually in Greece and, and our, we got some stuff delivered and, um, I was, I was home at the time because I was back working and, and she was with the kids in, in Greece and I had to sign for it. So I signed for it from the DHL guy, UPS, I don't know who it was. And uh, he was obviously a Celtic fan, so he was, he, was, he, was, he was a bit chuffed that I answered the door and I signed and left and, and Georgia got the receipt the next day and she said through to me and it had uh, accepted by Big Ange. <laughs> <laughs> 
So it was brilliant. Oh, I love and, uh, it. Just, so yeah, they're, they're really yeah. It, it's like I said, it's it's really humbling. Um, you know, I get I'm driving down the freeway, people are taking photos, and I'm imploring them to be careful. I, you know, I'm literally walking out my door, and and you know, people are coming up to me, and and the Scots are really friendly people, mate. I, yeah. Just about everyone I meet invites me over to their place for a nice dinner. You know, just come over, no problem. You know. <laughs> Um, so, um, so they've been really great and, and, and it is, it's, it's humbling, but you also, you feel the responsibility. Like I said, we had our first loss in a year. O'Hara coming in! And St. Mirren have shot the champions! St. Mirren standing firm again. Well, don't you just love it when a plan comes together and Stephen Robinson's plans did for St. Mirren. It weighed heavily on me because I know that we don't have a game for two weeks and they've got to sit on that and our supporters have, uh, you know, they're not going to have that sort of buzz in their life that we've been given it for the last year and, and you want to address that as quickly as possible. I, I, I can't keep you for, for too long. Um, the Derby, obviously. Yeah. Celtic versus Rangers. Um, it took me a while to figure this out. I, I think I got it right. Your your first uh, Derby was at Ibrox and you lost yeah. 1-0. But then you're first at Celtic Park, 3rd of Feb 2022, home game. You win 3-0. Yeah, it's a fabulous atmosphere, Ian. And I think Rangers have set a good pace at the top of the table. But with a win tonight, Celtic can match them and even go in front of them. I think that's a target for the home side. Exactly. the odd moment that is that something has been Rangers for the first time in over two years and they did it in style and that's the end Postacoglu way I can see you smiling about it now which is cool what does it what does that game mean at home yeah so it was a special game for, for a number of reasons as you said um, you know, we, we, our first game was at Ibrox um, were you uh, prepared for what it is yeah, I, I, I was prepared, but at the same time, I, you know, as much as people talk to you about it, you, you've got to live it and experience it. And and you've got to remember that. So that that game in February when we played them at Celtic Park, that's the first time that we'd played Rangers at Celtic Park with a capacity crowd for three years because oh, of, of COVID. COVID. So what's so capacity they, at Celtic Park? So we get 60,000 there, right? So and how many Rangers fans get in? Uh, I think for that game we had 700 maybe, so um, <laughs> okay. might have been something like that. Uh, and and so it wasn't just that we were playing, obviously, Rangers at Celtic Park. It was because for them that experience of being at the football is everything, and that was denied from them. So it wasn't just you know the pandemic that hit, and obviously it hit the world so hard and everyone suffered. But for a lot of the, the you know our supporters, the, the the main joy in their life, their main sort of vocation, you know, if, if the hard earned that they're earning, which is not a lot, you know, they put aside a piece of that for a season ticket, that's where their joy is, to go watch their team play. And that, that was taken away from them. So even when we walked into the stadium before the game, you could just sense the excitement that, you know, they're back in, they're back supporting their team, they're up against the the, the biggest rivals. It was going to be a special night. And, uh, mate, the noise they made when we walked out, um, you know, they they shut the lights. They had, you know, out, you know, our boys do the huddle before the game, at, you know, the, the starting eleven, and they sh- shone this green light on them. So all you could see was, 
you know, our starting 11 on the pitch in a huddle with a, a green sort of fluorescent light on it, on them, the rest of the stadium absolutely in darkness, but making the most noise you've ever heard. It was surreal, mate. And then, and I think that, that really lifted the team because we, we, we were superb on the night. We were, we were brilliant and, and, you know, we ended up winning three nil and it was, um, and, and again, just the joy of the people that night, um, A, for them to be back doing, supporting their team and seeing them knock off their biggest rivals was, was special. So 11th of May, one all draw with Dundee. You are the Scottish champions. Celtic have rubber stamped the title. It's a remarkable achievement for Ange Postacoglu, who had to fix quite a few things after the events of last season, but it was a quick fix. And tonight they have provided the necessary official confirmation that Celtic are champions of Scotland. Let's talk about when you're crowned at home. You beat Motherwell 6-0. Um, farewell to Tommy Rogic. Um, what, what's, I don't know, is it is it more the Dundee moment for you when you, you haven't dropped that extra game or is it when you get to celebrate with the people that, as you said, have been involved in that club for 100 odd years? Yeah, no, it was definitely the the the, the last game. Um, you know, Dundee United, it was it was great. We did it. Um, you know, we we it was a bit of a grind on the night, um, but we got the job done, and and there was a sense of relief on the night. Um, but at the at the game after it, I, there wasn't that euphoria. Part of me, the competitive side of me, goes, you know, there's another game. I want to finish off in style. You know, I want to win this last game. <laughs> I don't want a flat spot, you know. So I'm, Go I'm on, still, Ange. Give yourself I, a pat yeah, on the back occasionally. I, no, but but I, I was in that mode. But And I, I, I sense the players were as well because we, we'd had such a laser focus on every game being the best we can be. And let's finish it off in style. Let's celebrate properly on, on Sunday. So, yes, there was some celebration. But I was really reserved. But then, so we played Dundee United. It was a night game. By the time we got back to the stadium, it was almost midnight. And they told us there's thousands of people at, at Celtic Park waiting for us. And I've gone... You're kidding me. It's like middle of the week. It's midnight. So we get there and, and there are, they're, they're just out there. So they said, look, you better go out there and, and just acknowledge them because these guys won't go away, you know? So, so we've walked out there and that's when it kind of hit me, you know, because they're just euphoric. I want to say thank you from, from the bottom of my heart for all the support you've given me, the players and everyone else. And, uh, We'll enjoy tonight, and then we'll come back Saturday, and we'll enjoy it again. Thanks very much, and uh, see you on Saturday, yeah? Even the players sort of are taking photos just to uh, to bear witness. Uh, the, they've got some evidence of the, of the night. And, and from that moment on, I kind of really understood it and, and embraced it, and I did. I made it a mission of ours. I said that last day is going to be special, boys. We're going to we're going to smash this. You know, we're all the champions. We're going to show them why we're champions. And it was a brilliant day. You know, from the moment we arrived, um, you know, we we walked up. Sort of, there's a when you when you get to the stadium, there's there's kind of a walkway which is Celtic Way, which you know, at the end of it is a statue of Jock Steen with the European Cup and. We walked as a procession as a team and, and in front of us was one of the ex-legends, Paul Lambert, and, and our skipper carrying the trophy already, you know, down Celtic Way, thousands of Celtic fans sort of before we even get the stadium. We play the game. I kind of know it's Tommy Rogic's last game. We've announced it and, and another player, Nero Bitton, and they had a great day. And 
it was just a huge celebration. We, we like I said, we smashed it on the day. We won six nil, and it was a special day. And as Postecoglou will be looking for a performance to go with a party. The Kyogo makes it pay for it. You just knew an earliest goal was inevitable on a day like this. It's time to get the title-winning party really going. David Turnbull has found his way through. Celtic Park is the home of the champions again. The final day of the season, a far cry from the opening day. A remarkable transformation is complete. A job well done, very well done. Masterminded by Ange Postacoglu. It was a special day, and then afterwards, you know, I got Georgia and the boys on the pitch, and and you know, we're walking around the pitch, and you know, I'm sort of clapping the supporters, and and just seeing the faces on them, and uh, it was it was a really special time. I got a photo of, of us as a family, like in the middle of the of the ground with the, the supporters behind us. It's uh, it's a treasured memory. They're singing your name, mate. Like they're singing your name. Pretty surreal, mate. It's um, it's they've done well to get Postacoglu into a couple of songs. <laughs> to be fair to them, uh, that was a challenge for them. But the thing that um, the, the thing that um, I think I watched it again this morning, Ange. Um, I'm smiling about it now. When we originally did this podcast, I told you beforehand that we hadn't met each other, and uh, um, in your press conferences, you you're often you you your, your eyes are down, and you you you're mm. quite a reserved chap. We had that discussion, and the guy handed over the microphone to you and all of a sudden you became like Hugh Jackman Showtime. Champions, that's who we are. And for you, the best on the planet, unbelievable. You've you've embraced me, you've embraced my family, You've embraced this jumper. And I want everyone to enjoy today. Enjoy the summer. And we'll come back bigger, better, because we never stop. And you were talking about we're the champions, and it was the most heartfelt, emotional, captivating speech I've seen for a long time in sport. I don't know if you prepared it, but it was just... I don't know. It was just brilliant to watch, mate. Yeah, no, I, I did think about it. I mean, I, I wasn't sure what words I was going to use, but I, I thought it needed to be something significant because, again, when you look at the history of the football club, um, you know, in those moments, what you say becomes important. Um, you know, it, it is, you know, written in history. And, you know, I didn't want it to be anything sort of too cheesy. And so, you know, again, in a kind of self-deprecating way, I, I, I kind of – I just wanted to acknowledge the right people and the right people to acknowledge was, was mainly the supporters. They're the ones that backed us, backed me from day one, you know, and, and we'd brought back the club to its rightful place as champions. And, you know, I also wanted to, to sort of, you know, we had this mantra all year that they, they, they did a, a sort of, they hooked me up with a mic at a training session early in the year, probably my first training session. And there was a bit in it where I kind of really emphasized the kind of team we were going to be. And, and the, the mantra behind it was we, 
we don't stop. We will never stop. The opposition might stop. They might take a breather, but we do not stop. And it kind of became our theme for the year. And, you know, I wanted to make sure that I finished with that. And kind of that was the last thing I said, you know, we'll be back next year, bigger and better. And because we do not stop. And the crowd sort of understood that, you know, this is who we're going to be from now on. This is the kind of football club we're going to be, the way we play. And and I thought it was important. Um, it's come back to bite me a little bit because Georgia reckons I took the – the because I said we're going to come back bigger and better. She reckons I've come back bigger, so <laughs> I, and I'm under the pub, so it's come back to bite big me. Edge. I took it literally. It's yeah. big edge. So, um, but, yeah, I thought it was important. And, and, and like I said, it was a great day, and, and it's one I'll, I'll, I'll forever cherish. Final question for you, and I can't tell you how much joy it's been – after following Yokohama in the paper to, to hear this story in the small print, you will have answered this six years ago, but I'd like your experience now. For all the kids listening that want to achieve success in their life, you have been knocked back time and time again, yet you are coaching one of the biggest football clubs in the world. What would you say to them? You know, uh, people talk about finding your passion, and it is. It's, it's so important because if you find your passion in life, then, you know, you can – you are so much more incentivized to to be the best you can be, but embrace the the hard work of it. You know, I'm I'm a big believer in working hard. You know, whatever you want to do, and even more so if if you're passionate about it. Sometimes people think because you you find your passion that that it's somehow easier. No, it's harder. You, you, and embrace that. You know, just work hard. You know, there's they're the values I've taken off. If there's one thing I've taken from from my father more than anything else. He just worked hard and he worked hard for his family, not for himself. And I've taken that on board. And as much as I love what I do and, and there's great, uh, you know, I get great benefits and, you know, for myself, for my family, I embrace the fact that, you know what, I love working hard as well. You know, I think there's nothing wrong with that. And if you're a young kid, you can overcome everything if you're prepared to to just work hard at it. You know, don't, no, there shouldn't be anyone who can stop you from being who you be, you want to be if you're prepared to put in the effort. Um, no rejection, no other person's opinion, no obstacle in your way will stop you if you put in the effort. And and that's what it requires. There's, there's too many people trying to sell you, um, you know, the easy road or some magic formula that will get you to, to where you want to get you. It doesn't exist. Every successful person that I've spoken to or I've, I've encountered in my life, and that's not just success in, in monetary terms or in, in, in profile, just people who are the best people that can be, and some of them are, are my closest friends, they've just done it through sheer hard work, nothing else. You know, they've committed to something and, and they haven't let anything stop them getting there and and they haven't tried to, to find a way to, to go away from that. So if you're, you know, you're a young kid, whatever you want to accomplish in life, you know, put in the effort. Just the rewards will, will so much outweigh whatever the cost may be if you really just work hard at it. You can see this man in action, Big Ange, the coach of one of the gaffer of one of the biggest football clubs in the world when his team Celtic takes on Sydney Football Club on November 17 at a core in Sydney or Everton on November 20th. Get there, watch him in action. Ange, I don't want to overplay it, but this has been a brilliant hour and a half. I know how busy you are. I've been looking forward to it and I've loved seeing all your success and your support of the show back in episode 12. So to come on again, I'm so full of love for you and congratulations on everything you and your family's achieved and the love for you in Australia, in Japan and now in Scotland, mate. Oh, brilliant, mate. I'm happy to share it with you and uh, keep telling the stories, mate. I tell you right now, if you didn't follow Celtic before this episode, you might now. 
What a man, what a story, what a football club. Thanks to Ange for his detail, his love of the game and of podcasts. How good that he likes podcasts. Fills your heart with joy. Thanks to the awesome threesome that are Das, MJ and Tommy Boy and to you for tuning in. Thanks also to Richie Butterworth and the guru, Jay Rowlings at Bursty for making this happen. Until next Thursday with Matt Rogers. You know the drill. Peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. try.